Today's reading comes from the book of Genesis. Jacob left Beersheba and set out on Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is no one other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and I will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Angel. I don't know if you've ever watched a soap opera. Well, don't worry if you have. I won't judge you. Um, A long time ago, actually, I, I must confess, I used to watch an Australian soap called Neighbours. I know I don't look like I watch soap operas, um, but I was very young. I was in secondary school. I was naive, you know. So the thing was, it was never any good, but I kept watching it. Um, You get pulled into the story as you learn more about people's lives. You hope that good things will happen to them, and you start to root for certain characters, and you support them. And, of course, good things usually never happen, or if they do, they give way to a a tragedy to boost the ratings. And what's interesting is that they're always caught up in sin, and that's one reason why people watch them, because their own lives suddenly seem better when they compare themselves to the crazy scenarios that go on in the soap world. A Christian writer who writes for a famous soap opera was once asked, How can you write these scripts as a Christian? All these broken relationships and immoral decisions that have to be made. 
And the response of the writer was quite insightful. They said, when I'm writing, I always make sure there are consequences for the actions and the choices that the characters make. And as we look at the story in Genesis so far, and as we see the family dynamics and the broken relationships from chapter 27 last week, we see there's not a scene there where the whole family is together. You have eavesdropping, listening to prior conversations, favoritism, lies, plotting, betrayal, deceit, lack of good judgment, blasphemy, envy, malice. It's also neighbors-esque. It's like it's straight out of the soap opera, and yet here it is in the Bible, the true gritty reality of real life and family struggles. And just as the Christian soap writer says, they make sure there are consequences to the character's actions. The writer of Genesis seems to say that that's the same in real life. You can't escape God's judgment. Although there's no outright condemnation by the writer when we, look, um, in, in, when we look at it, if we go in deeper, if we have a closer look, we'll see that things happen as a result of the decisions that are made. In chapter 27, verse 41, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then... I will kill my brother Jacob. In other words, when my dad is dead, I'm going to kill my brother. It moves past the soap opera plot and almost becomes a drama or a thriller. Rebecca, his mother, learns of the plot and she warns Jacob and cleverly thinks of some way to get her favorite son away to safety while fulfilling God's um, plan of Jacob marrying someone from a suitable lineage. Genesis chapter 27, verse 46, Rebekah says to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. So Isaac agrees to send Jacob on his way. But what are the consequences for her? Well, she never sees her favorite son again. Her brother, Laban, ends up tricking the trickster and making him stay with him in Haran until Rebekah passes away. And what are the consequences for Jacob then? He becomes a desperate fugitive. A desperate fugitive while Esau, his brother, is off out, usually hunting wild game. Jacob hangs out a little closer to home. He might do a bit of shepherding close by, but being a mummy's boy, mum's favorite son, he's never too far away from the comforts of home. He's used to having everything he needs. But now, thanks to all the scheming, his whole world starts to come apart. He's deceitfully stolen something from his brother, and his brother's verdict is death. He is a fugitive from his brother. His mother is seriously worried that he's going to be killed. They all know how good Esau is with a bow and arrow. It's one of the reasons Isaac, his father, loves him so much. How hard would it be for Esau to follow Jacob and hunt him? His brother not only wants him dead, 
He wants him dead by killing himself. It says, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the only thing that's stopping him is that his father is alive. But Isaac, his father, obviously thinks he hasn't got long left or he wouldn't have tried to wrongly bless Esau in the first place and start this chain of events in motion. Jacob is a desperate man. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 3, he refers back to this day, the day where he has to leave home, as the day of his distress. For someone so used to the comforts of home, having to leave for a strange place where you don't know anyone, you don't know where anything is. He can't Google map the nearest restaurant and he can't call his mom to tell her how it's going. It's distressing for him. And worse than that, his twin brother hates him enough to kill him. And he doesn't know when he'll see his father or mother again. And actually, we know he doesn't see his mother again. We know. And it's a terrible situation. No wonder he calls it the day of his distress. Jacob, who ironically has to leave the land which he's just been blessed to inherit. Are we like Jacob in any ways? One way to put it is that he's been feathering a nest that he now has to fly away from. He's planned to have something that he wants, yet when he finally gets it, it doesn't go the way he wants it to at all. Is the desire for material things clouding your mind to the consequences of what will happen if you get them? Do you, dis- do you decide to spend longer at the office so that you can get that promotion at work while your children just want you to come home earlier to spend some time with them, to tell them about it so they can tell you about their day? Or your wife wants you to come home earlier to spend time on your marriage. Or if you want that new iPhone or the new iWatch, you want to get it. And yet, when you do, you know it's so addictive that you'll end up spending all your free time using it. Or you'll spend less time with God each day because the new apps are just so addictive. Or maybe it's a spiritual blessing that you want. You want a spiritual blessing so much from God that you'll end up putting that above God himself in your life. I want to encourage you all this morning to take a step back and look at your life before it becomes anything like this soap opera family scene. What is it that you want the most now, today? And if you got it, Be realistic with yourself. How would it affect your walk with God? How would it affect your family life? How much time would you spend face-to-face with friends? And then reevaluate it. Should it still be at the top of your list? Is it still worth it? And if you've learned from past experiences, maybe, that when you have something that hasn't turned out how you thought and it wasn't worth it, Maybe you feel like Jacob does now in this situation, in his distress. This hasn't gone how I wanted it to. It hasn't gone how I've planned it to. Is God still real then to this desperate fugitive, Jacob? Well, what does God do in this situation? 
we see that he reaches out. He reaches out in Jacob's time of need. He's there and he will always be there for you too. Jacob tries to walk as far as he can in the daylight, maybe looking back every now and then to see if his brother's pointing a bow at him. But by the time he stops walking, it's already dark. The sun has set, verse 11 says. And the one who's so used to the home comforts takes a stone in the little light that's left and uses it as a pillow and falls asleep. He's had a rough day. And you'd think that if he's going to use a rock as a pillow, he's going to have a rough night as well. But he doesn't. Because God reaches out to him in his time of need. I don't know if you found this in your own life, but God always seems to show up in the most unexpected of places in my experiences. And the way the writer of Genesis narrates this passage, it's almost like he's saying we should expect that. We start off in verse 10 with a certain place. If you look at your NIV Bibles in front of you, you'll see the word place is mentioned four times. In verse 10, in verse 16, in verse 17, and verse 19. And in the Hebrew, the word makom is mentioned six times. The word place in this short passage. The narrator wants us to see that this is just an ordinary place. It's nowhere special until God reveals himself there. And then it becomes very special. And we see why as we look at verses 12 and 13. The stairway is standing or resting on the earth with the top reaching to the heavens. And the angels of God are ascending and descending on it. And above it stood the Lord. Rightly, the main focus of the dream. And now this ordinary place becomes a place where heaven and earth meet. It becomes a meeting place where God himself can be found. Now remember, this is a different time from what we would know now. This is before Jesus came to make the way open to God. Before the Holy Spirit could freely dwell within all of God's people. It's an amazing example of God's grace shown to us and to Jacob that God himself initiates this meeting and reaches out to this deceiver who's fleeing for his life. And it's also a great symbol of what's to come. Jesus, when he's calling Nathanael as his disciple, says in John chapter 1 verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And this is in contrast with Jacob, whose name means deceiver. Then Nathanael says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus says in verse 50, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. Then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What's Jesus saying here to Nathaniel? He's talking about this meeting place from Jacob's dream where heaven and earth meet. That way made available. And more than that, 
a weight God the Father made available. Can you see it? Jesus is saying he's the stairway on which the angels ascend and descend. He's the one who makes it possible for the union with heaven and earth. He's the one who makes it possible for Jacob and Nathaniel and for you and for me to come to an ordinary place in our lives and see the Lord. And you start to see, as Jacob says in verse 17, how awesome is this place. Sorry. It always happens with an iPad. You lose your place. (laughs) Though the promises here were made by God, and they're especially for Jacob in the day of his distress, echoing the promises of his father Abraham, we have something better. The part of the promise at the end of verse 14, if you look down, says... All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, Jacob's offspring, our Lord Jesus Christ. So now we can read God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit and see it come together like the masterpiece it is. Jesus is the stairway from heaven to earth, from God to man. And yet he says himself that the angels will ascend and descend on him. What is this picture that Jesus is painting for us? That the angels are walking all over the Son of God. Well, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 says, But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus, the servant king, serves all and does what has to be done to open that stairway for us between God and men. He suffered death so that God's grace, by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. The question for us today, though, is, Do we see him as Hebrews tells us he is now, crowned in glory and honor in our lives? Or do we walk all over him and not give him a second thought as we try to make our way to God the Father, as if he was still the stairway? He faces the conflict and goes through that time of trouble. And when God is there to help Jacob is reassured and guided by him and reminded of the promises made to him. I don't know if you're a person who conflict seems to follow you around, whether you like a bit of confrontation or whether it just seems to find you instead. But if you remember, God is never far away from you. God shows Jacob his grace, even though Jacob has done wrong. Jacob sees the link between heaven and earth. What are the things that happen? Well, he says, how awesome is this place? It's a place that the Lord is at. The picture here on on the slide is of a stone anointed with oil. 
And it's a stone that Jacob stands up as a reminder of where heaven meets earth for him. And he names the place Bethel, which means house of God. It's just a stone. It's a long way off from the temple that Solomon built. But then even that magnificent temple covered in gold can't compare to what the house of God is really pointing us towards. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, we are now part of that temple. God is not only with us, but he's in us through his Holy Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? Jacob becomes a changed man after his meeting with God. From a desperate fugitive to a promising pilgrim. The man who, as he lies to his father to cheat his brother with the help of his mother, says this in Genesis chapter 27 verse 20. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? He's talking about the food that he's prepared. The Lord, your God, gave me success, he says. The Lord, your God. And yet, after meeting God personally, he now says, the Lord will be my God. The Lord will be my God. If you're a young person here today, you should ask how you see God. Are you here because you have to be or because you want to be? Are you relying on your parents' faith or your own faith? Some of you already know him personally and can say, the Lord is my God. But if you're waiting for a personal encounter with him, just look in this story how he reaches out to Jacob, though he doesn't deserve it. He can reach out to you just as easily. If you need reassurance of something, tell him. If you need guidance on something, ask him. Jacob takes a vow, verse 20. And then he starts his journey with God. He's a long way off from the finished article. It's actually another 20 years or so before he gets his new name, Israel. And as he looks back over his life, he can see what God has done for him. I'm sure many of us are on a journey with God too today. But if you're not, then why don't you ask God to help you on your journey through life? See what happens. So to conclude today, if your family feels like a soap opera, pray to God that he would help you put him first and that he would help you to think about choices you make before you make them. If you're a Christian, do you need to remember who Jesus is this morning? Do you walk all over him? Or do you do what you want to in life? Or do you see him in that verse in Hebrews which says he's in all his glory and honor? And if you're not a Christian here today, thanks for listening. I hope you saw through the story how loving God is as he reaches out to those who need him. And if you want to ask him to help you on your journey of life, he can and he will. All you have to do is ask. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even in the messiness of life that you love us 
that you help and guide us if we ask you. Thank you that you give us wisdom if we ask for it. Thank you that we can be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Thank you for this wonderful passage where we can see so much of the temple and of Jesus in it, making that way open to you, God the Father, so that we can be in union with you, so that we can be at one with you. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. And we pray you'd help us this week that we wouldn't just see Jesus as the stairway because he's no longer the stairway. He's in glory and honor. And we pray you'd remind us of that, Lord. And we pray for all the young people as well, that their faith would be their own, that they would discover you personally and anyone else who would like to today. So we ask you'd be at work in our hearts. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. In your amazing name, amen.